0: Hello and welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast. My name is Mark Taylor. I am a National Council Member of NAEP and also producer of this show as part of the Education on Fire podcast network. We mentioned in the launch show about the important work that we do each year as part of the Christian Schiller Lectures where we invite someone to talk about education based on the philosophies and the work that Christian Schiller did. And I thought rather than me trying to explain about all these things, I'm going to share with you an interview that I did um, a few months ago with Dr. Tony Hude after he'd done a Christian Schiller lecture and you can really get an idea and a sense of what we're trying to achieve, the sorts of things we're trying to influence and how we're trying to support the education of a whole child. This is my conversation with Dr. Tony Hude. Um, Today I'm joined by Tony Ude um, and he recently did a lecture for the National Association for Primary Education as part of their Christian Schiller lectures and um, I think it was very well received um, and a very interesting topic so I thought it'd be great to have a conversation and and just share this this lecture with you as well and some of his great insights. So welcome Tony, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Um, So could you start, give us a little bit about your professional background and your educational experience? I I trained to be a a primary teacher
1: at um, Goldsmiths College in 1975-6 and then I was a um, primary class teacher for about 13 years. I then became a head teacher in a multicultural school in Oxford in England um, for nine years. I then went off and did a doctorate and i've worked for about the last 15 years or so uh, as an independent uh, consultant uh, author writer working with groups of teachers and
0: children fantastic and what was the um what was the crux of the lecture what was the what was the uh, the impetus behind uh, the lecture itself well i've been very
1: concerned for a long time about primary education and education more generally becoming too narrow and rather soulless, uh, too concerned with data in a narrow um, area of the curriculum. And I, when I was asked to do the Schiller lecture, I decided to choose the topic of what I called rehumanizing primary education because I was concerned that perhaps we've we've lost some of the most important aspects of primary education which is to do with the relationships between children and teachers and that the schools have become rather too soulless and not always meeting the the most important needs of young children especially in some areas to do with the humanities and the arts.
0: And what do you believe is a way to to re to reconnect that? Is it more um, less testing and more focus on a on a wider curriculum, like I say with the humanities in the arts, or is it a bit more of a a personal approach in terms of actually? I, I I've talked before on the podcast about actually having more of an idea of the story of the children and, and 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 them as human beings, really, and their education through actually who they are is a starting point rather than just a curriculum input well it's, it it's a bit of each, but it's more
1: of the second of, of what you're saying. I mean, I think we do overtest children. Um, I think that the curriculum has focused far too much on content, knowledge and on a whole range of skills, which, while they're important, they're not really what the most important aspect of what I would call the education of the whole child is. So it's much more, I think, it's it's much more to do with um, the sorts of experiences and relationships which we offer to children so that they develop a very broad range of, of skills and experiences um, but in particular how they come to understand themselves in relation to the sort of complex and difficult world which which they encounter. Um, So as I said, while it's important I think that we look at changing some of the curriculum and some of the assessment procedures that in itself won't really resolve the issue that I'm really trying to talk about, which is much more about the sorts of environments, the sorts of relationships that we build up so that children are helped to understand
0: themselves and the world that they live in. And can you give us some examples of, of, of what that might actually look like in in the, in your sort of ideal world of of, of how a school would work? Well... I think if you
1: think about walking into a school or walking into a classroom, one picks up very quickly the feel of the place or the ethos. Now, that's very hard to pin down. It's certainly something which I think isn't measurable. Um, But it's it's what one feels in terms of a place being welcoming being um lively being the sort of place where you as a learner or you as a parent would want the child to be so it is very hard to 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 you know to put one's finger on certainly in terms of anything measurable but i think in terms of experience it's something that most of us have a very strong um, feeling about, and I think particularly that's true for children and for and, and for young children. But the the sort of examples that I would probably give would be the way in which um, teachers welcome the children, the 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 sorts of um, responses that they give both to children and to parents, um, the ways in which Um, teachers are able to remember and to make reference to maybe some of the lovely things and some of the more difficult things that happen in children's lives. You know, whether it's the fact that over the weekend they were, you know, going to some special event or maybe they had a brother or sister who, you know, hadn't been very well or any of those sorts of things which are maybe not sometimes so much associated with school learning in the sense of literacy or numeracy or music or science or or whatever, but they're actually really at the heart of how we are as people and how we learn to be um, the the sort of people that that we want to become. And I suppose I would also want just to add at this point that I think... This is what the best primary teachers do. And it's why often primary class teachers are the the sorts of people whom adolescents and then adults very often remember with great affection. So the whole of what I'm saying is not really an issue about criticising teachers as such. It's much more to do with the sort of broader environment which enables Um, teachers to work in the sorts
0: of ways I've just been trying to describe and I guess in order to do that is it really time that's the biggest factor so that they can actually feel that they're they're not having to literally schedule every minute of every day so they've got that ability to have that conversation which will be individual which would just allow them to be able to have that or is it um, can it still be done within sort of the current confines do you think I think, t- I think time is a factor, and it's a very important factor in
1: the way that you said. But I think it isn't just that. I think it's more about a whole different way of seeing education, and that's what I was trying to um, discuss in the lecture, that we have tended to see education as, as some sort of a frantic race, that, you know, where one has to cover the whole curriculum one has to do all of the stuff in order to pass tests and so on and i i use the example in the um in the lecture of seeing education much more like a sort of series of guided rambles or sort of moving through a, the museum of life you know, rather than this sort of sprint race. Because I think the problem is, as soon as one starts to see education as too much of a race, um, that that inevitably means that lots of children get left behind. Um, you know, and I'm not against competition as such, but I do think it's become too, co- too competitive. Um, so to go back to the point about time, I think, yes, you know, We have an overfull curriculum. We have too much emphasis on um, testing in a narrow range of, of particular outcomes. But really, the the more basic thing that I'm trying to get at is about trying to build relationships where teachers respond to children and to their wonderful comments their eccentricities their difficulties whatever you know their misconceptions their ideas all of those sorts of things and I think as soon as one starts to think about education in that different way you suddenly realize that while planning is important of course it is um, but that actually if you get into a a situation where you plan everything right down to the last minute then you lose all the opportunities or many of the opportunities you know to respond to what children say to you know what they're doing and, and those sorts of things so it has a it's a whole different way of sort of seeing the educational process which in some ways is much more relaxed and it's much more reciprocal so that it's more like a conversation Um, and, and I think the difficulty is if we get caught into this sort of what I described as a sort of frantic race that we lose some of the most important things that young
0: children in particular really need. And I often find, certainly in my experience, is that those are the kind of conversations and the kind of um, understanding that children get when they when they reach a point in their life where they might be struggling. So when a child's identified as actually they need extra support or they know there might be something at home which is actually... Um, um something that the school needs to be aware of and they need support with, then they get that time and they get that extra bit of interest in those conversations and the ability to discuss those things. I think it's often the people in the rest of the class who are perfectly happy and just doing what they do in, in school that um without that special focus, they're the ones missing out in some ways on that thing in the in the current scenario and actually having that time and that understanding for everybody I think would is, is would, would really make a big difference from that point of view. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, and and again, I go back to the point that actually I think, you, you know, really good um, primary teachers, of whom there are thousands and thousands, that actually they do this, but very often they do it in spite of and, and against the, 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 the flow of policy. One of the things that I wanted to highlight, just from what you just said, and it's something about where I particularly came from in terms of my own interest in education is the whole issue of of social disadvantage and those who come from difficult backgrounds and one of my particular worries about the narrowing of the curriculum is that it further disadvantages those who are already disadvantaged and I think it's a bit counterintuitive but I think it's true that if children are finding it difficult to learn to read and write and to, you know, learn mathematics, there's a sort of tendency to say, well, then they need to do more and more of that. And I think that's what's happening in schools. Whereas my experience, and the experience of of a lot of research as well, is that actually those those are precisely the children who most benefit from the broader um, experiences which come through making things through art, through music, through visits to museums or churches or the locality and those sorts of things. Um, So I think there is a real issue around um, how the narrowing of the curriculum actually further disadvantages children who are already finding learning difficult. Um, whereas I think, and this is, I know, a broad generalisation, that I think many children who come from more advantaged backgrounds, you know, they will actually get many of those experiences outside of school. Yes. And that it's one of the really important roles of schools is to offer the opportunities um, to all children, but particularly to those who wouldn't otherwise get those broader experiences outside of school.
0: And in terms of Christian Schiller and and the lecture itself, how how was your lecture and, and the focus of it um, influenced by by his research and his work? Well, Schiller wasn't a, wasn't a
1: researcher as such. He he was a, he was someone who worked for um, uh, many years as uh, one of Her Majesty's inspectors. Um, and did a great deal of work with teachers and with head teachers. So much of his work was, was quite practical, but one of the things that really struck me very strongly, and it goes back to what I've just been saying, is that he worked for many years as a youngish inspector in the Liverpool area, and uh, which was an area of desperate poverty in the 1920s. Um, And he was appalled by the um, living conditions in which many of those pupils lived. Now that's understandable, but he was also appalled by the fact that when he went into the elementary schools that they visited, they were very often given a dull and narrow diet of uh, of learning, which didn't engage them at all but actually when he then spoke to them about their experiences outside of school he very often found that they had a a sort of wealth of experience and knowledge which wasn't either recognized in school or or developed by the elementary schools and from that he you know developed a a very strong sense that actually the narrow curriculum of the elementary school needed to be changed um, and then did a great deal of that over the next um thirty or forty years of his life and in fact when I was a young teacher you know much of the um, uh, ways of working to which I was um, introduced with a very strong emphasis on probably not calling it the humanities, but the humanities, the arts, physical movement, those sorts of areas, a love of reading, all of those sorts of aspects, um, they were seen as much more important than I think they are in schools now. So I sort of drew on on that aspect of, of Schiller's work, but also his belief that change comes really from the bottom up Um, now if you say that that alone is too simple because obviously all teachers work within a policy context and um, you know the curriculum and the assessment procedures you know one has to take account of those but really what he said is that if you're going to change people's attitudes and beliefs profoundly then one actually really needs to work with teachers and to trust teachers more. And so another aspect which I think is really um, important from Schiller's legacy in relation to the situation over the last 20 or 30 years is that politicians particularly have come not to trust teachers. I think individual parents often... Have great trust in teachers, but there is sort of underlying the whole discussion about primary education, particularly a sort of sense that teachers need to be told what to do. Whereas my belief is that actually there is a huge wealth of experience um, on which we can draw, and that actually teachers understand individual children and children's needs far better than politicians do, and that if we're really going to um, start the process of change uh, from the current situation, which in many ways I deplore, um, then actually we need to recover much of that trust in teachers. But going along with that, and again I discussed this in the lecture, is that teachers must learn to be much more confident in articulating what their skill and their professionalism is and I think sometimes uh, you know teachers have been a bit self-deprecating and it's really important that we try to, um, to, to work out and to make more public some of the aspects of, of, of really what good teachers of young children actually do. And I've done quite a bit of work in my own writing about this, because I think it's quite difficult. You look at, the, at somebody teaching a class of young children, and it looks easy, it looks effortless, and you go and try and do it, and you find it's very, very hard. Um, and so I think it's really important that um, teachers as a profession both you know recover some of their own belief in themselves, which I think has been lost to some extent over the last 20 or 30 years, um, but also find ways of articulating what it is that makes for good teaching, and some of that, I think, is very much to do with the sorts of relationships we were talking about a few minutes ago and how one builds up an environment where young children have a broad range of opportunities and where they actually learn to become confident learners in in a, in
0: all sorts of ways and getting that feeling from the teacher's point of view to want to get that out into the community and also from a public point of view Do you think that change will come through the voice of organisations or unions in terms of trying to get that into the media and into people's perceptions or is it much more organic than that in terms of their relationships with their immediate community, obviously their students but then also the parents and actually having a much more sort of holistic kind of feel of of what the school is and and sort of gradually that ethos sort of spilling out almost into everyone's sort of idea of what teaching is and, and the children's learning. I think it's a a really
1: tricky question, that. I I think to take the way that that you have put it, the immediate aspect is the second part of what you're saying, which is that one needs to do it within one's own school community, within the wider community, um, and with parents. But I'm not convinced that that then just sort of spills out into the wider political arena. Yeah. And of course, not all teachers are, you know, going to be to want to or be able to influence the the, the broader political um, agenda. So there is a place for organisations like NAPE and the you know the subject associations, teacher unions, and, and and so on. But I don't think that happens automatically. And as I was saying in relation to Schiller in the lecture, it's a difficult and you know arduous journey that one needs to, to take and I, I thought a lot about the reasons for this um, and I think it's very tricky for politicians to avoid again this sort of sense of the frantic race and the and the sort of league tables um, and you know that if in the results of PISA which is the international um league tables that we've slipped from 9th to 13th oh well then we've got to you know we've really got to sort of bring in a new curriculum or or whatever and again that's why i come back to this point about a different way of uh, of, of of thinking about education which i think is tricky for politicians because you know they're judged very often on results but i think as soon as you get caught into that into that whole way of thinking, then you you get somewhat trapped into, oh well, we need to do more in order to get our scores up, and I think that in the end, that's a it probably doesn't work, and b and more importantly, that what we really need to be looking at is something much more to do with the aims of education in a complex and and difficult world. And I think there's far too little discussion about the aims of education and what it is to be an educated person in the 21st century. And I think there's a sort of implicit belief that actually, if everybody had high scores in tests, then everything would be fine in the world of education. And we all know that that isn't true. I mean, just to take one example, there's rightly a great deal of worry about young people's mental health. And I think there's strong evidence now that there is a link between that and this sort of frantic competitive race you know, to score highly in tests and exams. And so the whole thing is sort of tied together that because we get so obsessed with exam results that then puts pressure on children which then tends to make them lack resilience and to become fragile and i think we sort of need to step back and say what are the sorts of uh, the sorts of aims of education based on what is it to be an educated person for the 21st century and i think As soon as you start to think in that sort of way, and I mean, interestingly, the CBI, the Employers' Organization, did this back in in 2012, so it's not just about teachers doing that, but my own thinking and, and lots of other people, as soon as you start thinking about that, you then say, well, we really need... It's things like qualities that one's talking about, qualities such as creativity and resilience and teamwork, um, those sorts of aspects of children which we need to build up rather than filling them up with lots of facts, you know, or, or indeed focusing too much on a whole range of discrete skills. So it's something about thinking about what is it that we want to achieve um, in terms of the whole child so I'm just to give one example of course I want children to be literate and numerate but I don't just want them to be that I want them to be confident I want them to be resilient I want them to be able to you know work with other people to be empathetic with those who are different you know not to be stereotyped and prejudiced. So it becomes a a, a complicated thing. But I think that as soon as you start to think about that in those ways, you then recognise the role of the arts, the humanities, um, and a whole range of other aspects
0: of the curriculum, which at the moment I think are too often marginalised. So, I mean, a change in the curriculum from that point of view, I think we probably both agree would make a would make a massive difference. The thing I'm often interested in is the fact that, I guess, because you say of policy and because of politicians, they, their life is relatively short lived, and so they need to see results yep. in the next year, the next cycle of tests, and and all of that kind of thing. But even when, even within that, you can see that if you take countries like Finland, who educate their children in a different standpoint um, and with a broader curriculum and age um, um, when they start school and all of that kind of thing. Um, They do it differently and seem to be very successful in what they do. And the other side of the coin is that you hear businesses say we want the qualities that you've just been talking about as well which would therefore from an economic point of view and a work point of view would be very beneficial for the country. So what is it that you think is the is the is the sticking point that they don't think ah oh, there must be something there that we could do because we can already see there are things have out there either from different countries or from the actual the wider world that are actually saying we want these skills as well which we're not getting from the current education system if we were, if league tables were the most important thing and we were at the top by a mile then I could understand the politicians saying yes but it's working whether we agree with it being um, working from a, a human point of view but we're not even there yet either so I find what, what are your thoughts on on Maybe why there isn't a, a, a light bulb moment going off of kind of, but we're not actually achieving what we're saying we're trying to achieve anyway. So why not do it somewhat differently?
1: What you say sets off two or three trains of thought, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and um, I'll try and pick all three up. Um, I think the first one is uh, I I am sympathetic to politicians for the reasons that you say yeah you know, the business of short term and what I was saying about the the, the need to show results um, but I think also politicians do have a, a role in terms of of leadership and as I said earlier I think it's very easy to get caught into this frantic race of mm-hmm. comparing with, with, with other countries um, and I think it's I think it's generally not terribly helpful and I think it really is important for Politicians, and don't think many of them do it, or certainly not polit- political parties. To go back to what I was saying before about you know what is it that we want out of a, an education system, um, and I th- I'm, I think I'm very disappointed that really there's been very little discussion about that, um, as I see it in terms of you know of political parties within the last twenty or thirty years. Just to pick up on the point about about comparisons uh with other countries, I think one needs to be always slightly wary about this. You know Finland, as you say, is often sort of brought in as a, an example um and I'm a great admirer of of the of the Finnish system, and I think the point that you referred to about the starting age of school is an important one, and I think we do have a particularly English obsession. Um, with you know getting children into school younger and younger and even more important than that in many ways it's not just about when we get them into school but actually then get them into a particular approach to schooling which is wholly inappropriate it seems to me and I think the loss of a play-based curriculum um, which we can um, C works particularly well in the Scandinavian countries you know I think that 's a particularly worrying aspect in terms of four and five year olds i 'm rather tired of hearing politicians saying that we ought to go to the to the far east um, you know to see how they teach maths now I think there are certain ways in which you know one can learn from other systems, but I think one needs to be a bit wary of that and I think in terms of learning from other countries, there's something to be, a lot to be said for learning from systems which are quite similar to ours. And although I don't know a great deal about what's happened in Scotland, um, I think actually that's perhaps a country because in many ways it's you know more similar, obviously, course, than the Far yeah. East or the Scandinavian countries where we probably have a lot to learn in terms of the sort of breadth of the curriculum and also the engagement of, of, of parents um, in in the community. You see, I think we have an extraordinary situation whereby if you look at four and five-year-olds, certainly most of them have a very um, imaginative, fairly wide-ranging, not too narrow a view of learning. Now, of course, they don't have the experience that older children and adults have, But they certainly aren't nearly as constrained by subject boundaries or, 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 you know, some of the beliefs about learning, which we as adults tend to impose on them. And I mean, one of the things that somebody said, I forget who now, is, you know, thank heavens that um, children learn to talk before we try and teach them to talk. Because if we try to teach them to talk in the way that we teach them to read, then actually we would make it more difficult. And I think quite often we do make learning more difficult for children than actually it is in a much more natural way. So I think many of the most important things that children learn, they learn in a fairly natural and unforced way and of course they need guidance and and so on and that's what teachers and parents and and, and others um, can offer but I think we do get into this very strange situation where four and five-year-olds very often arrive at school with many of the qualities that as you say employers are looking for and of course education isn't just for employment it's also for life but it's for uh, employment is part of life And somehow we have a schooling system which manages to squeeze, you know, many of those um, things out of the children and then they get to 15 or 16. And for some reason, we're then surprised (laughs) that actually, you know, they're no longer able to, um, you know, to, to, to manifest those qualities or many of those, many of the children aren't. So, I mean, I think just as an example, how do you learn teamwork? it seems to me you learn teamwork basically by working with other people i mean to some extent with those who are similar but also with those who are different and you learn you know to make use of a whole range of different skills and, uh, and approaches from different people and yet we have a highly individualized system which is uh, then backed up by you know by the testing regime if we want to encourage teamwork which i believe is an absolutely key quality for life in general particularly you know in the 21st century um, then actually we need to encourage much more cooperative learning similarly with creativity you know if we want children to be creative then actually we that needs to run right the way through the whole approach It, it creativity I think isn't something which just happens within inverted commas creative subjects so you know music art and those things of course they can contribute to creativity but actually I believe learning is a is a creative process um, uh, so that actually you know in every subject there are opportunities for for, for creativity but too often we um, end up trying to impose particular views of learning on children whereas actually we need much more i think to run with the flow of how children um learn and then to be facilitating and and, and you know and, and adapting whereas i think we've got caught particularly in england in the last 20 or 30 years into a view of teaching which is that it's much more um to do with instruction, as opposed to facilitation. Now, I mean, there's, there's there's a place for both, but I think we need much more to see teachers as um, enablers and facilitators, rather than you
0: know sort of deliverers and instructors. And that really almost goes full circle in terms of of giving them that sense of power they feel to actually be the teachers that they can be because when you're enabling and facilitating then it's not about the planning at all then it's having that overall idea of where you think it might be going which may then go in a completely different direction as well Um, but then you're able to use those skills and that understanding and that experience to help the child learn whatever it is that they want to do in that particular environment I guess. No
1: I I think that's right and it's also where teachers need to have the confidence to do that. And one of the concerns that I have is that while I think we have a, a generation of teachers who are extremely efficient, probably far more efficient in many ways than I was as a teacher, you know, in terms of their planning and curriculum coverage and those things, um, that actually they very often will find it quite difficult to deal with what is unexpected you know so they may be able to deliver an, a, a you know a, a, a planned lesson very very well but actually when a child then or a group of children come up with an interesting question or sort of go off piece so to speak then actually they're they're um, you know find it very difficult to know how to follow that line so i mean michael oakeshott who's a, a Philosopher from many years ago talked about education being a conversation between the generations, which I think is a lovely phrase. The idea that it's much more like a, a conversation where it goes back and forth, and that you know, we explore as adult and child or adult and class, we you know explore something, and you know each side says you know what they think one then enriches one's thinking as opposed to what I think one too often sees is you know the adult standing in front of the class and
0: telling children what to learn and ultimately I think don't think that's really how children learn. No and, and I think certainly from my experience with our children going through the education system it's it's certainly not those what I would guess would be considered normal days of that kind of being spoken to and and being talked to that aren't the ones where they've come home and gone. You'll never guess what we did. They came for much more, the more creative, the 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 visits out of school and the yeah, that slightly more enriched day for whichever reason that happened to to be to be their experience in that particular scenario. No, I think that's absolutely right, and uh, yeah, I mean, of course,
1: it's a bit simple to just to focus on the memorable things of course yeah. <laughs> you know because actually you know a lot of what we have to learn is a bit of a struggle and maybe sometimes it's a, it's a bit tedious um, but i in the lecture I, you know i talk about some of the memorable moments you know such as i remember going with my father i remember badgering my father because of my history teacher to say look i want to go to stonehenge and I mean, in those days, you could literally walk up to the stones yes. at Stonehenge and um, and touch them and get the sense of it. And I would have been nine or 10 probably. Um, and I vividly remember that. And I just think that has a, a quality of experience and understanding of history in this case um, and of human culture, um, which I think, can't uh, can't ever be replicated by the best lesson um and which has remained with me whatever it is 45 years later and 55 sorry <laughs> 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 yes.
0: and w- um we we talked a little bit about the fact that um sort of the, the way of teaching now is sort of you know 20 30 years into a cycle um and so, therefore, there must be an awful lot of head teachers now, which don't know any different. Their their teaching days were were in that same sort of guise, in that same sort of format. So, do you see a sort of an ever increasing spiral of the same, assuming that policy doesn't change dr- dramatically, or 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 is there a way of that changing because of the actual leadership? I mean, I guess. I've always thought that the leadership in that ethos comes from the person who wants to set the agenda for the school, and and if they don't fully understand that in a way that they might have done, um, sort of pre this sort of policy idea, um, how that sort of then gets back into the school. I mean, other than the sorts of conversations that we're having, hopefully, and people listening to these sorts of things. To pick on the first point that you were saying, I agree, but in fact, I think
1: it's even more worrying than that because I think that it isn't just the senior leaders, their experience as teachers, but many of them, it's actually their experience as learners in school as well. So actually they've had relatively little experience, many of them, of the sort of approach that I'm talking about. Um, And I think that makes it very difficult for people not to think of education in terms of a race and in terms of measurable outcomes and you know that that's basically what learning and teaching is about and i think it then goes back to what we were discussing earlier really i think it's it's tricky to see how one um changes that except by a whole well i think there's the bottom-up aspect of actually talking about what are we uh, about as educators as we were saying a few minutes ago um there's all sorts of issues to do with teacher education which I think is problematic just because it's so short you know and I don't believe that one learns to become something as complex as a teacher just on a, on a very short course. As I said earlier I'm, I am a great believer in the sort of bottom up but how that then influences the um, policy agenda I think is is. is difficult to know, except by, you know, the sorts of discussions that we're having, yeah. the organisations, you know, and, and constant um, um, arguing for the, 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 the sort of vision that I'm trying to promote. Um, but I, 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 I think if I was going to do one thing as a politician, I know you haven't asked me this, but one or two people have in the past, that I think actually many schools are very, very driven by Ofsted. And I think that if Ofsted were to, um, I mean, I would like to see quite a reform of Ofsted, but even if one didn't do that, I think if they actually had to report on the breadth and balance of the curriculum um, and also uh, on another area that I'm particularly interested in, which is spiritual, moral, social, cultural, if if there was much more emphasis within that uh, those sorts of areas um in the ofsted framework and in how schools are inspected then i think that would be liberating to to many teachers and headteachers who i think remain very you know constrained by what they believe ofsted is 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 looking for and you know, when I speak to some heads they say, well actually Ofsted is much better than it was and I think there's probably you know some basis for that. But again I think there's still Ofsted is still very caught and schools are therefore very caught that you know, the really if it's that really it's mostly about data and measurable outcomes yeah. in literacy and numeracy. Um and as I said earlier, of course I think those things are important. But I want a much broader vision, a much richer vision uh, of what it means to be a um, an educated person, and and sorry, just to add one thing, uh, I'm also convinced by my discussions with teachers, particularly older older teachers, I, th- I think that actually the sort of vision that I'm trying to espouse is something that they would because of their experience of children, that they would say, yes, we would love to do that. But actually, it's very hard to find any time in the curriculum, you know, to do those sorts of activities and and field work. Um, And I mean, just as one example, and I mean, it, it, it makes me weak, to be honest, you know, that particularly in year six, with the emphasis on SATs, that, you know, that so many schools spend a, such a lot of time preparing for Sats, and then after they're over, will then say, "Well, now we're going to do some of the yes. other things that we really believe in." And and uh, and I, I'm I'm actually a, a great believer that, uh, of course, one needs some emphasis on the skills of literacy and numeracy. But you know, I mean, I learned to be fairly literate um, by the learning of history and geography and by learning to write stories and literature and many of those things um so again it it comes back to to my previous point about a whole different way of seeing a what we want to achieve and then the means to to achieve that whereas we're caught into a very very narrow view of it
0: so if people want to actually um Experience the the lecture themselves. You, you've got it on your website, which, if you're happy to, I'll, I'll put a link to, so that people can read it and 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 um, and really get their teeth into it um, in its full entirety. And um, no, that that would be great. And if people wanted to, you know, make any comments
1: on that, and uh, you know, again, my on the website, my email address is, um,
0: is, is available fantastic well thank you so much for chatting to me it's been it's been a really interesting conversation and, um, and we could stay here all day yeah. I <laughs> go round and round and round but uh, um, for, um, for those people listening I hope that's given you uh, an awful lot to think about and um, and just some things which maybe you could think about implement differently or just have different conversations with the people in your local community be in the school in the parents the governing body and just to sort of give you a bit of an empowerment really to that we can make a difference and especially for the ground up and um and just little bits every day then can to can make a difference to the future as a whole we hope anyway
1: thank you as well i've really enjoyed the conversation and just to pick on your last point i think the idea of
0: empowering teachers is a lovely one thank you to tony for sharing his wisdom and insights on this christian schiller lecture 2018 if you'd like more information you can go to the show notes page this podcast is hosted at educationonfire.com So if you visit that website, educationonfire.com, and in the search bar, put NAPE001, that's N-A-P-E-001, all the details will be available for you, Tony's website, a copy of the lecture itself, and we really hope you enjoy exploring what it is that NAPE has to offer. We look forward to chatting to you on the next episode.